we miss sometimes things that are fairly obvious right in front of us. It's uh, something that's not that unusual for us. Uh, uh, it's called uh, something called selective attention. And you're looking and you're watching for one thing and you completely miss something else. Something that may be fairly important that's happening. I mean, it happens to us all the time with selective attention, right? We, we miss something that's right in front of us. Uh, maybe in your house it goes, the conversation goes a little like it does in my house. Something like this. Honey, could you get the salt? Sure, no problem. I'll get the salt. You go to the cabinet, open the cabinet where the salt usually is, and look. Honey, I think we're out of salt. We're not out of salt. I just bought some. Well, there's no salt in here. It's right in front of you. If it was right in front of me, I would bring it to you. Silence. Walk over. Pull the salt out right in front of me. Oh, it's the red one. I was looking for the blue one. Or... Maybe that conversation goes something like that with you, right? You're looking for something and it might be right in front of you and you miss it at times. Or here's another example. Quick, find the toothbrush in this picture. Did you find it? Good. How many of you found the little toothbrush on the counter? How many of you found the giant toothbrush that was behind it on the counter? Most of us didn't even notice even when I first looked at this picture and read that there was a giant toothbrush in there, I said, no, there isn't, and couldn't find it. Our selective attention, when we're looking for one thing, sometimes we miss something else that can be very important. It happens that way in pictures or movies or things like that, but it also happens that way in life, and actually, I think it can happen in our spiritual lives, too, that when we are looking for something that we can miss something else that's very important. That sometimes in life, that by we can miss something really important. So I want to look at a passage of scripture this morning, John chapter 5. And if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up to John chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one either under your chair or a chair in front of you or around you and turn to John chapter 5. Or I'll have the scripture on the screen as well. You can follow along there. I want to look at a place in John chapter 5 where there are some people that completely miss something really important that's going on. And I want to look at uh, what they miss, and we're going to get into the, talk about that fairly quickly, what they miss, but then I want to talk about why they miss it. Because why they miss something very important, I think, is the same couple of reasons, two reasons, why we may sometimes miss something God is doing in our life. Why we may actually miss God at work right in front of us and right around us. I think the same two reasons they miss it might be two reasons we miss it too. So what's missed and two reasons why it's missed. Uh, John chapter 5 and here's what, uh, here's what the Bible says. After this there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, 
Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going another steps down before me, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man, said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. In greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Right at the end of this passage, I think it answers the question of what people were missing uh, very quickly. What they were missing is that Jesus is God. That's what he says very clearly in this passage. In fact, we read a part of that passage that says the reason they were seeking to kill him was that he was making himself equal to God. And and this is the revelation they missed. This is the revelation that, that the paralytic man at the pool missed, and it's certainly the revelation that the Jewish people in the temple missed, that he's God, that he is God. And I, and I wonder, I think about that, because Jesus is saying not that he's like God, not that he's from God, but he is God. He himself is God. And as Christians, maybe this is a little bit more familiar to us. We believe in a triune God. We worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. And and many of us have grown up, even though we don't understand it completely, but many of us have grown up saying, yes, that's what we believe. But for these people that Jesus is encountering the first time, to say Jesus is God was an extreme revelation for them. 
But I still wonder how they missed it. I still wonder how God can be walking beside you, standing in front of you, speaking to you, and they miss it. I still wonder how the handicapped misses the healer, how the devoted miss the divine. I mean, he's right there. And they don't see the gorilla. They don't see the unexpected. They just see a man. I think the two reasons, there's two reasons why they miss it. One, the paralytic, and the other, the Jewish leaders. And I think there's sometimes the same two reasons why we can miss God at work in our lives. The first reason why do we miss God at work and why they missed God at work, I'd say, is our assumptions about our world. And I'll say this one maybe more specifically to the non-religious person who's maybe in here. Maybe you're in here and you haven't uh, committed your life to following Jesus. Maybe you've seen these kids here this morning who's taken that step and you've never taken that step. You're in here trying to decide, trying to explore, is this something that might be true? Is this something for me? We make assumptions about our world and it might be that our assumptions about our world keep us from seeing God at work. The response of the paralytic man to Jesus' question, I think, is really interesting. And to understand it, you need to understand a little bit more what's going on in the story. Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? And his response is, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up while I'm going another steps down before me. That answer makes no sense if you've got no familiarity with what's going on in Bethesda. So here's what's going on. In Bethesda, there was a pool that somehow there became a belief about. Don't know how it started, but the belief was that when the water stirred, if you were the first one in the pool, then you would be healed. Now, I don't know how this started, but I can see how it would start because it happens all the time today. It happens around the world. If something unusual might happen in a particular place, then maybe a shrine is built or people start to pilgrimage to that place in order to try and have the same kind of experience. And I think that's probably what happened at Bethesda, that maybe something happened there, or at least a legend or a story started around here. And people started to believe that if you got in the water first and you were the first one in after the water was stirred, whether that was an underground spring or whatever would stir the water, then you would receive a healing. It became so embraced that it was apparently an edifice was built that had five colonnades or porticos there so that there was some shade, I guess, over these people who were there waiting for the healing. And you had many, we don't know how many, but many people, it says, if there are five colonnades, it's got to be a significant amount of people there looking for healing, hoping to be the first one in the water when it stirred so they could be healed. And so, when Jesus asks, do you want to be healed, this man who was 38 years paralyzed says, I've got no one to put me in the water. And even, and even if I could, I mean, I'm not going to beat, you know, the other people there who maybe can walk and have something else wrong. I'll never be the first one in the water. That's, so that's his response. And he misses that God himself 
creator of heaven and earth, creator of all humanity, is standing there beside him, speaking to him, and he misses it. Why? Because his assumption is, if I'm going to be healed, it's going to come from the stirring of the water. And I wonder for us if sometimes we miss God at work in our lives because we are looking for the answer or the healing to come from someplace else in our world. That maybe you're in here and, and, and you're not a believer, you're not yet a follower of Christ and you are looking for the answer somewhere else and, and you've been told, hey, the answer, eventually scientists will come up with the answer. Eventually academics will, will solve the problem and figure it out. Eventually medical science will cure it. Eventually diplomats will bring about world peace and figure out how to stop all the violence that's in the world. Eventually someone will figure it out and you wait and and you wait, and you wait, and 38 years, you're waiting, and still nothing, no, still not the fulfillment, not the answer, not everything still looks the same, and you still feel that you still lack the purpose and fulfillment and meaning that you're looking for, and how long do you wait, 38, 48, 58, 68 years, how long do you wait, and my bigger question is who, what, or who do you miss along the way while you're waiting? Could it be that sitting here this morning while you are waiting and looking for an answer to come from somewhere else that Jesus himself is calling to you, saying that he has what you've been looking for, but you say, no, I just got to wait for the water to be stirred. I got to wait for someone to put me in the water. That's, that's for my healing. I got to wait for someone else to come up with an answer, a fulfillment. I got to... And Jesus himself is calling to you. I think this assumption about the world, I, I, one statement I hear, maybe you hear it too, is sometimes people say, I'm spiritual but not religious. Never heard that, I'm spiritual but not religious. And by that, I find that usually someone means, I've come up with my own idea of what it means to be spiritual and I follow that rather than any type of organized orthodoxy that might come about. I'm spiritual, but not religious. And I kind of look at this paralytic guy as someone who might say, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I get in the pool, and the water's stirring, and that's where I'm going to get my healing. And we might have our own ideas that this is where the answer's going to come from. This is where the healing's going to come from. This is where the fulfillment's going to come from. And yet Jesus all the time is standing right there beside you, calling you to himself, even this morning, saying, will you accept my invitation? Will you accept my invitation? Will you give your life to me? Will you trust me that I can provide the answers and the meaning that you're looking for? It's sometimes our assumptions about the world around us and where our hope is that we miss God at work. But there's a second thing, the second reason we miss God, and I think that's for not the non-religious person, but I would say it might be for the Christian in here, the person who follows God, that you, can, you and I can sometimes miss God at work because of our assumptions about God. That we have assumptions about God and how God is supposed to work and we might miss God at work right among us because of the assumptions of how God is supposed to work and what he is supposed to do and what he's supposed to be like. I think that's what's going on with these Jewish people in John chapter 5. 
they, Jesus does the healing and uh, this man is carrying his mat. And so the, uh, some of the Jewish people, they ask a question as they see him. So the Jews said to the man who has been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But the man, but he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Now don't go to the next slide yet, hold on. If you've got that statement, you said, hey, why are you carrying your mat and walking? And he says, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. What's your next question? What's your next question? Who said it? You want to know who said it. And why do you want to know who said it? You, why do you want to know who this man is? Because he just healed a guy who hasn't walked in 38 years. Everybody knew this guy hadn't walked in 38 years. He'd been sitting there for 38 years. By that time, everybody knows who he is. Everybody knows he's crippled. Everybody knows he hasn't walked. And here he is, not only walking, carrying his mat, walking around. And he says, the guy who healed me told me to carry my mat. And I want to go, I want to know this guy who healed you. I want to know who this guy is. That would be my next question. That is not their next question. Their next question is this. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? They, it's like they don't even notice the healing. The guy hasn't walked in 38. No one's disputing that he is walking. No one's arguing that he is up walking. Like that's, that's fact. We all agree on that. And yet they're not concerned about that. They're not rejoicing about that. They're not excited about that. All they want to know is who told you to break one of our rules? Who told you to go and carry your mat on the Sabbath day? Because we need to have a word with him. And they miss... I mean, it's not like, who healed you? I need to get with this guy because God heals people because God, this is only, in fact, in other parts of the scripture, it says that only God can do this. And if you're being healed, I want to be with this guy. I want to know what's going on. But that's not their question. Who told you to take up your mat and walk? Who told you to break one of our rules? Why? Because of their assumptions about God. Their assumptions about God kept them from seeing that God was right there beside them. That was right there. Their assumptions about, because their assumption was about God was God can only work in this way and he certainly doesn't do this on the Sabbath day. Because we know how God works and God doesn't work outside of the way that we have decided that God works. And here's Jesus, very intentionally healing a man that everyone would recognize and everyone would know, making it very loud and clear on the Sabbath day, it's a provocative healing because it's in a particular person on a particular day, Jesus is making it, he's putting it on a billboard saying, watch this and this is how God works and they're saying, no it isn't. And we miss God because of our assumptions about God and about how God has to work. And if the last one was, you know, some people will say the statement, I'm spiritual but not religious, I think this assumption, what goes along with it is some people will say, I want God, just not Jesus. I think there are some people that might say, I'm fine with God. 
you know, there's a God out there. There's a God who created. There's a God who, who, who you know, he, he you brought into existence the things that are. And, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with God out there. I just don't want Jesus to be God. Because if Jesus is God, Jesus didn't stay out there. Jesus came down here. And Jesus said some things that got up in people's business like God heals on the Sabbath. And that may not be a big deal for you, but he also said things like forgive your enemies, love your enemies. And all of a sudden, God out there becoming God down here creates an issue for people. And so people will say, yeah, I, 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 I want God, I just don't want Jesus. Because Jesus gets close and Jesus gets up in your stuff. And Jesus has things to say that are controversial and challenging. But what Jesus is saying is you can't have it. Because he says, I am God. Jesus is making that claim. I and the Father are one. You cannot have God without Jesus. Jesus made a way to God and it's only through him. He's saying, I'm the only way. There's no other way. And if you reject Jesus, in fact, we just read it in that scripture. If you, if you honor God, if you, wanna, if you don't honor the son, you're dishonoring God. That you cannot, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. In other words, you can't say you love God without loving Jesus. Can't have it. But sometimes our assumptions about how God works and who God is will keep us from seeing God at work. Sometimes maybe there's a place in your life where you think God can't be at work in this. Here's how I think it plays out for us. And that's that we have things that come up in our lives and we think God only works in this way. God only moves up and to the right. God only gets bigger and better. God only works things. That, and, and so a difficulty comes along and you think, well, God can't work in this. Or God's not at work in this place. Or God's not at work in this situation. And God works someplace unexpected. He shows up at an unexpected place in Bethesda among all the unclean people. He shows up and does an unexpected work. And he works outside of that box that we try and put him in. And we say, God has to work this way and through these people and in this way. And when we say that, we might miss God at work someplace. And maybe you have assumptions about God. That God can't possibly exist if there's so much evil in the world. That God can't possibly exist if there's so much difficulty and pain in my personal life. And we have made these assumptions about God and it might miss us. It might cause us to miss the very place where God is at work in our lives. Let me close with this example of what I'm talking about. Probably the most uh, famous picture from the Vietnam War, the most famous photograph from the Vietnam War. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen it. I'm not going to show it to you this morning, but many of you have, I'm sure, seen it um, uh, at a time. 
And that's this. It's a, it's a black and white picture of a street. And on this street in the foreground, there are a couple of children uh, that are running, screaming. Um, and in the middle of the picture, in the middle of the street, there's one little nine-year-old girl with no clothes on who is running right towards the camera, uh, screaming in obvious pain uh, with uh, what you, napalm on her body. And behind her, there are some soldiers who are looking forlorn with their heads down, kind of uh, just bowed to the reality of the moment, but not really paying attention. And then behind the soldiers, you see a giant napalm cloud that was a result of the South Vietnamese government actually dropping napalm on their own territory to try and combat some maneuvers of the North Vietnamese. And as a result of that, there were people, these children, who were obviously not the target, but still experienced the results and the repercussions of this. That little girl, the nine-year-old girl with no clothes on that many of you have seen in this picture, her name is Kim Fook. She's 49 years old now, 40 years later after that photo was taken. She, uh, as a result of that, after that photograph, as a result of that exposure to napalm, experienced extensive, of course, burning all over her body, went through surgery after surgery after surgery, still bears many of the scars on her body. She had other long-term impacts, for example, of something as simple that we might not even think about of the inability to sweat. And when you live in Vietnam and your body is not, uh, cannot sweat, then she said it feels like an oven inside your body just burning you up from the inside out. And this little girl, as a result of this, was ostracized from her friends and her community. She found herself alone and lonely and looking for answers. And she looked to her family religion of Cao Dai, and the religion that basically embraces all religions and all paths to God and says they're all valid. And she would pray to these little baubles, things that she would have on her wrists, but she found it unfulfilling. And so she was looking for what else there could be out there. So she went to the library and she got a book on Baha'i. She got a book on Buddhism and she got a book on Islam and she got her Cal Dai books and she got a New Testament. And she started reading the Gospels and she started reading the Gospel of John. And in there she found a God she found Jesus who said he was God and then suffered in pain and was persecuted and was ostracized. And what came home to Kim Fook is that only God would put himself through that. Only God would, would, would bear up under that. And this must be the true God. And she put her faith and her trust in Jesus Christ and began to become a follower of him while she was in college. She eventually, after she got married, the government was using her to exploit her and uh, twisting her story, but she eventually, uh, because the photo was so famous, but she eventually defected. She landed in a 
stopover on a plane and she was able to get off and defect and she defected to Canada and Canada welcomed her in. And she's recently written her story in a book called Fire Road, The Napalm Girl's Journey Through the Horrors of War to Faith, Forgiveness and Peace. And here's what she writes in her own words. This is what Kim writes. Nearly half a century has passed since I found myself running, frightened, naked, and in pain down that road in Vietnam. I will never forget the horrors of that day, the bombs, the fire, the shrieks, the fear, nor will I forget the years of trial and torment that followed. But when I think about how far I've come, the freedom and peace that comes from faith in Jesus, I realize there is nothing greater or more powerful than the love of our blessed Savior. My faith in Jesus has enabled me to forgive those who have hurt and scarred me. It has enabled me to pray for my enemies rather than curse them. And it has enabled me not just to tolerate them, but to truly love them. I will forever bear the scars of that day. And that picture will always serve as a reminder of the unspeakable evil of which humanity is capable. That picture defined my life. In the end, it gave me a mission, a ministry, a cause. Today, I thank God for that picture. Today, I thank God for everything even for that road, especially for that road. And I think of the words of Kim Fu, can I bring that up as a result of this message because of this? Because when we put God and make our assumptions about who God is and how God has to operate, we might say there's no way God can work in this. There's no way there can be a God in this world if this is allowed to happen to a nine-year-old girl But it may be that our assumptions about God keep us from seeing the very God who wants to move and who wants to act in your life. I'm going to ask our music ministry to return as we respond to this message. Um, Kim later, as she was traveling, speaking, she had a speaking engagement, I think it was in Canada, and she spoke and shared her story, and a woman told her that when they saw that photo, they began praying for that little girl in that photo, that God would have mercy on her, that God would show her his love. And it's not a different perspective to come to a photo like that and say, where, how can there possibly be a God and have our assumptions, or to come to a photo and say, God, would you have mercy and work in the midst of something That is a tragedy. We put God in these boxes. We put God in these shackles. And when we do, we sometimes miss the very place that God wants to work. And so as we close this message and look to respond, how do we respond? I give you the same question that Jesus gave to this invalid man, paralyzed for 38 years. His question was, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? And the answer may seem easy, but don't answer too quickly. 
Because the answer may seem, of course I want to be healed. I'm sitting here beside this pool and I've been here all this time. What do you think I'm here for? Of course I want to be healed. Of course I want to be well. But do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? Because for one, it would mean for that man to totally give up the life that he was living for another one. And sometimes we can get really comfortable in the way our life is and it can be scarier to change than to stay in the place where we are. It can be scarier to change than stay in the place where, where, where we are. So we just say, no, I'm going to stay because Jesus comes in and he gets close and he says all the things that Jesus says. And he says that, you know, yes, I love you, but you're, you know, I've got, you know, you're going to, I'm going to come into your life and I'm going to be Lord of your life and I'm going to take control of your life and, and you're going to, you know, have this love within you that I'm going to ask you to forgive people that have hurt you. And you might say, no, thanks. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay just beside the pool and wait for someone to stir the water because I really don't want to go that road. That's really the question Jesus brings to you. Do you want to be healed? Because what it means is saying, Jesus is God. I'm taking my hands off the wheel and I give him complete control of my life. And when he tells me to go, I'll go. And when he tells me to do, I'll do. Because God, I trust you. God, you're good. When things are difficult, I can trust that you're in control and I will trust you through the hard times. Because if you respond to Jesus and say, yes, I want to be healed, I want to be well, I'm going to follow you, it means you're saying, Jesus, you're God, I'm not. Take my hand off the wheel and I give you control of this life that you have given to me. I give it over to you completely and fully. I give you my hopes, my dreams, I give you my hard times. I give you my unanswered questions. I give it over to you completely. But I want you. So that's why I say don't answer too quickly. Because what it means is that Jesus is Lord. Not just Savior. Everyone wants a Savior. Jesus was saying, He's not just Savior. I'm God. He's God. He's Lord. And so he's saying, will you follow me? Will you trust me? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me for a moment? If that's you today, and you just say, that's me, God. The Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart right now. The Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart, and you would say, that's me. And I need to fully give my life over to Jesus today. And I need to take my hands off the wheel because I have been holding it or I have been holding on to a part of it and I haven't given it over to God. And today, that's you. You're saying, that's me. That's me. I want to give my life completely over to God today. Just lift your hand up to God and say, God, that's me. God, I need you. God, I need you. That's me today. You just lift your hand up to God and let him know. Make it, I want to pray for you. Say, God, I need you to be the Lord of my life. I am taking my hands completely off. I am asking you to come into my life and I will trust you with whatever comes. I will trust you with whatever comes my way. 
I want to be healed. I want to be well. I want you to be Lord. Father, I pray for these who have lifted their hand today. God, they've taken another step of trust and faith and obedience in you. Lord, they have lifted their hands and said to you that they want more of you and they want to be more fully committed to you. Lord, I pray, God, that you would honor their commitment, that you would do what your word says, that you would draw even closer to them, that you would inhabit them with your spirit, that you would give them the power and the strength to live the life that you have called them to live. That, God, when they leave this place, they leave changed and full of your spirit, Lord, to guide and to lead them, Lord. Father, I pray for all of us who are in here. God, if there are places in our lives where we have put you in a box, where we have put parameters on how you can act and where you can act, Lord, reveal it and take the blinders off. Help us to see. Help us to see how big and awesome you are. Help us, God, expand our vision of who you are. Lord, help us not to miss you right in our midst. Open our eyes to you in Christ's name.